I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News and author of the best-selling book, Breaking the News. And this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks to all of you who've told 10,000 friends and family members about the new show, got the Breitbart app, and went to my social media pages. You can get all of them at alexmarlowe.com. Appreciate all of you, especially those of you who've left us a great review. It's very helpful as well. We have a big show today lined up. I will get through all of the headlines that you need from over the weekend, including hot takes on inflation and why we're getting the Biden inflation. Actually, the problem is all of you. You're not being uh, good enough with your budgets. You just need to be smarter, more responsible with your shopping. That will solve that issue. I will explain how to solve the supply chain issues, at least according to the Biden administration. And that is uh, you got to get more jabs. That's the key to that. Or at least that's what Pete Buttigieg says. And again, uh, more mask and uh, vaccine hysteria across the world as coronavirus cases surge in certain regions. I'll break all that down as well as discuss the busy week ahead, which includes a Joe Biden and Xi Jinping Zoom call today. I'm sure that will be productive in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which could wrap up any day now. Speaking of Rittenhouse, uh, Jack Posobiec will be here, and he is someone who has studied deeply the institutional left and their violent wings of that movement. Uh, He wrote a book about Antifa last year. Very prolific on Twitter, also has a podcast, Human Events Daily Podcast, which is is uh, a partnership with Turning Point USA, our friends over there. So he's always interesting. And he knows the institutional left pretty well and has uh, been in the belly of the beast in many cases. And we'll also talk to him about some Democrat infighting. He's been at the forefront of this. And uh, we are seeing now some factions within the Biden administration developing. And it's kind of fun to watch, especially between world's wokest man, Pete Buttigieg, and uh, the first BIPOC vice president. Kamala Harris, they seem to be going at it to some degree. And Joe Biden is now having Jen Psaki out there to defend Kamala Harris. And it's all fun and a delight to watch. If the stakes weren't so high, it'd be really, really fun. But sadly, our country is at stake. So uh, we'll get to the bottom of that with him. But first, I do want to recommend that all of you check out our friends at AMAC. AMAC is a group that I have uh, supported for a long time as sort of the conservative alternative to the AARP. And they're an advocacy group and benefits organization with more than 2 million members. The Association of Mature American Citizens has become one of the most significant conservative organizations in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government controls. So stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining now, amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. Join us at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. And now let's get into the monologue. I hope all of you had a nice weekend. Mine was mine was pretty eventful. I went to Santa Barbara, California, because I felt like it was a good idea when I was invited to by Young America's Foundation, a group I've been affiliated with since I was junior in college, I think. Um, so 15 years, I think. I've been uh, maybe 16, something like that. And they have always been good to me. And when they invite me to speak, I try to go. 
um, and partially because they've got lots of young people who could benefit, I think, from hearing some of the things I have to say, but also because it's really fun to go to their headquarters, which is in Santa Barbara, California, uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world, but it's also very uh, interesting to go there because of the nature of the type of people who are there and um, generally speaking, incredibly wealthy whites who look down upon the rest of the country and then think the rest of us are racist. Now, I'm not saying there are some exceptions, a little more conservative than um, I think parts of L.A. County, for example. But uh, if you go to places like Montecito, California, which is uh, really it's almost hard to believe these places exist. If you have not been out to the California coast, particularly the central coast of California, it, it is so breathtaking. And um, uh, in terms of the the look and the atmosphere and the weather and stuff like that. But it is interesting to note the type of people who are there because it is one of those hotbeds of the liberal elite who uh, preach diversity and then live amongst themselves, amongst uh, uh, other li- uh, other left-wing whites who are often quite unhappy. I was thinking we need to send Pete Buttigieg out there. He needs to go out there and he needs to explain to them their racism and how they can fix it. And um, he knows because he got, what was it, 1% of the black vote or did he not get 1%? I think he got less, but maybe it was 1%-ish. He knows everything about race because he's been boning up on it. He's been studying up because he knows he might have a chance to succeed Joe Biden should Joe Biden step aside in 2024. And uh, he's got a big gap in his uh, his voter base, which is uh, most of his voters are are as as white as the people I'm talking about. So he's got to figure that out. But he's quick study. You know, he's a high IQ guy, so he can figure it out. So I want to send him out there and get a uh, lecture on the racism of roads and bridges. Because, hey, there's a lot of systemic roads and bridges racism there. It's funny also because it's a incredibly wealthy part of the world, but uh, there's always road construction and the highways are always pinched because the whoever, whichever racists who are running the highway system um, don't want the uh, wealthy elite to have enough uh, space on the highway. Um, but I always have a great time when I'm there. I really actually love it. And um, it is a, a it was the, the highlight, though, of my trip is always observing the masks. Whenever you go to a new place, I like to observe the mask rules because you can always tell in a place like that, which is a lot of tourists, the difference between the tourists and the non-tourists because the tourists don't wear the mask and have to be constantly reminded to put the mask on. And then the natives, they have the kids with the mask on outside. So like, because that's it's just a mask culture um, because we've learned now the mask is more of a symbolic Thing even uh, Dr. Fauci himself, Saint Dr. Fauci, uh, has said as much to some degree. And not to say he denied that they work. I'm sure he he would say they do. But the he does acknowledge that it is a lot of it is symbolic. Uh, that you take the virus seriously, or in my opinion, that we should all be bummed out and to turn over more control to the federal government and state governments, etc. Um, but I had one of the best mass moments of the entire pandemic, which is after my speech in a great mood and went to get some Mexican food with my wife and uh, my babies, Master Marlo and Master Marlo Jr. And afterwards, we went across the street to a CVS and we were in an aisle at the CVS and there were three people in the aisle, uh, not including the babies, me, my wife and um, a elderly lady. All of us had our masks on. Uh, the, I noticed they were all on properly above our noses. And a young man came in, a, a obese young man, by the way, so not exactly the pillar of health, um, who worked at the CVS. He popped his head down the aisle and he scolded us. He said, in this store, we wear masks above our nose. As if he was explaining to us how to wear the mask and as if we had all lived under a rock for the last year and a half. 
uh, and we all had our masks on perfectly. So uh, we had gone from no masks to please wear your mask to um, uh, we all wear the mask and you don't really need to remind us to, okay, some of us are taking the mask off and you're scolding us. And then now we're at, you're getting scolded even if you're wearing them perfectly. Uh, it might be a sign that people are not wearing the mask necessarily just for the coronavirus. Maybe it's people delight in telling other people to cover their face. So that was fun. That was the highlight of the whole weekend, I have to say. The speech was good. I love speaking to the young people. Talked to them a lot about um, how the, I think the, the the name of my talk, which is available online if you're curious, um, is how the establishment media or the corporate media gave us the brand administration. And I went through a lot of the highlights uh, that we've been reporting in um, the news, uh, as well as the highlights of my book, Breaking the News, which I recommend to all of you. Um, and I think that's a good place to start because we saw Chuck Schumer partying maskless over the weekend, uh, even though, you know, there are places where two-year-olds are supposed to wear masks. So the photos uh, hugging and smoozing and smooching and uh, photo ops and all these people don't have masks on. But then if you want to go to preschool uh, in my neighborhood and you're three years old, you have to wear a mask. Even though, you know, we're, maybe the maybe the deaths of a young healthy kids from the coronavirus, you know, the age of my three-year-old is single digits, maybe double digits, certainly not triple digits for the whole country during the whole pandemic. So, but they'll, um, you know, you got to mask up because it's really important, really scientific. Um, a federal appeals court halted the Biden administration's vaccine requirements, which is a, a, a big blow. And it's a great thing. And it's huge credit to these big companies. Some of them you have in mind who are resisting the vaccine mandates because you got to let some of this stuff play out. You got to ride it out and see what happens because the nature of the viruses is changing at a pretty rapid rate. And unfortunately, right now we're not getting a lot of good news on the virus front. Um, but it is great when these companies are standing up to it, and then you get another uh, court blocking it, saying that you, you can't really have this policy. Um, this is a federal appeals court in New Orleans um, that said the vaccine, it, by the way, or the testing requirement for private businesses. Um, is not okay. And so that's good, and I hope it holds. But this is another reminder that the corporations who jumped on this, um, and some of them are really disappointing. Some of the corporations that did are ones that you wouldn't have necessarily expected to fall in line. Uh, some of those corporations who did that, they're really part of the problem here. It is a, they're the enforcers of the authoritarian federal government, and we need to start taking a stand. And this has been something I've been encouraging everyone to do, particularly um, uh, when you've got... A, a, when, when it comes to any sort of fed, federal mandate, it's not even a request uh, of people. When you're mandating people, they're going to lose their livelihood. Um, they're going to lose their spending power. They're going to lose their ability to get uh, finances, uh, financing extended to them, thus be able to get mortgages, stuff like that. Really cutting people down in their ability to earn and grow uh, financially because they're refusing to get these vaccines in particular, if they've had the virus, which so many people have had at this point. Uh, if you're forcing that upon your employees, there's something wrong with you. There really is. So, And yet most of our corporations appear to be doing it, at least the big ones, because they just roll over because they don't want to be harassed and hassled by the federal government or because they actually like the federal government. And we're now in this age of the public-private partnership where the corporations and the government are essentially one and the same. Um but the nuttiness of the um, mandates and the rules are obviously driving so many of us mad. A California security guard stabbed a man for refusing to wear a mask. Um, we had this story at uh, Breitbart News. 
a a, a at a Vaughn supermarket in Santa Monica, California. Jordan Dixon Hamilton wrote this up for Breitbart that a California security guard stabbed a grocery store customer after he allegedly became violent when employees asked the man to wear a mask, according to police. Uh, Does any of that surprise you that that could happen? So it's also interesting now because the masks are not enforced that um, uh, consistently as well, because there's a lot of places I, 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 by and large, are now asking people again. I I vacillate on this. I know some of the audience is is chuckling, but I I have now been asking. I've been now been forcing the people to tell me to put the mask on. Uh, I was on that for a while, and now then I was off of it. Now I'm back on it. So I'll walk in without the mask and make the people tell me. But the problem is you get too many people like the obese guy in the CVS who love telling you to put them on. They actually enjoy it. It's the highlight of their day. According to a report, um, a study that was published in a uh, outlet called studyfinds.org, which is pretty good, Holiday Hell, three in five Americans banning unvaccinated relatives from family gatherings. People are starting to plan their Thanksgivings only a week and a half away. And I imagine this is a big thing, but it's the the thought that um, I'm hosting Thanksgiving this year. Very thrilled to be doing that. And I'm, the thought of asking people their vac status is uh, uh, had not crossed my mind until I read this. Um, so it is because I don't understand because it's the if you're vaccinated, then basically, you know, the pandemic should be you should think of it mentally as a pandemic is done for you. There's a chance you get it. There's a chance you get quite sick, but the chances of you dying is. Uh, incredibly low relative to what it was pre-vax and uh, we should all just start living our lives so that it should not be news to any of you guys another headline at breitbart looking at some international covid uh, news covid tyranny unvaxxed politicians banned from voting in eu's latvia and their pay suspended you guys see where this is going totalitarianism not to say we tend to look to latvia for our uh, example but these are the ideas that are percolating amongst the ruling elite around the world that maybe we can use the unvaccinated to disenfranchise a bunch of people. Literally disenfranchised, not figuratively, as I often use it. This is literally you are not franchised. You do not get a vote. I think they really might ramp it up right now. German state health ministers, according to Reuters, call to extend the state of emergency because coronavirus is surging there. And there's a new variant in France, according to reports. But again, if you've been paying attention to this show, I've been saying there's probably 200 variants. So it's just a matter of time before one of them breaks out and um, gets around the vaccines to some degree or at least gets people sick. So Delta shouldn't have been Delta isn't necessarily the last big one. So that's why we need to start at this point learning to live with the virus to some degree, which a lot of people don't want to do because they would rather restrict more of our freedoms and put more control in the hands of the Dr. Fauci's and the John Kerry's of the world. The, anyway, so long as the stay in the vaccine mandate is is out there, I think it is a positive. Um, but I must say that this is we're going to have to be on guard for this for a quite a long time. Let's listen to Secretary Mayor Pete Buttigieg, the savior of American racism, talk about this exact issue in CBS this morning. One A, Mr. Paul. So this is a complex global story, but for the average American, it's also very simple. It means more things are out of stock and the things that are in stock are costing more. What's the administration doing to help people? 
So I break it down into three parts. First of all, we got to deal with the pandemic. This is largely a pandemic-driven set of issues. So the surest way to deal with it is to end the pandemic, which is why we have this vaccination campaign and everything else we're doing. That's the first part. The second part, of course, is that uh, we can't wait. So there are immediate actions like what's in the president's port action plan. Uh, we're seeing sweeper ships going around to pick up empty containers that are getting in the way. Really creative ideas like pop-up ports that are actually in Inland in Georgia, so you can move the containers out of where they might be blocking uh, the path for uh, more ships to unload and sorting them out further inland. Even fines and fees for those shippers who are leaving their containers out, which is contributing to uh, the, the slowdowns and the issues. Then we've got the long-term picture. We've got to invest in a big way in American ports and infrastructure, which is why this bipartisan infrastructure deal that just passed Congress is such okay, a big pause. deal. So, so, so he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. It's a, there's going to be a lot of peak clip clips coming up because he so effortlessly uh, spins out an agenda that is ridiculous the more you break it down. So the the main problem isn't China. The main problem isn't our dependence on China. The main problem is the pandemic that was caused by China that we're not holding China accountable and that we rely too much on things coming into the country from China. Uh, the main problem is, is that we're, uh, is the unvaccinated. You guys are the problem. If you got unvaccinated, if you're unvaccinated, that's why we've got the supply chain issues. And it's not the fact that we're not allowing everyone, including truck drivers, naturally socially distanced, and in some cases are getting fired for not meeting Biden's vaccine mandate. People who sit in their car all day, many of whom have had the virus, that they're getting axed out of work. So we have a shortage of truckers and we're, we have these ridiculous that have just barely expired and in some cases are still in place. Um, unemployment benefits that are encouraging people to stay home and watch Netflix and order food delivery rather than go out and work. That, that, that's not the problem. It's, it's the unvaccinated. You guys are the problem. And then um, the way to fix it, uh, uh, other than get vaccinated, which of course Pete wants, pass more Biden's agenda. Uh, spend more money. Spend more money that we don't have yet, even though we're in the middle of huge inflation. So we keep printing money. And I love the idea of the pop-up ports. Like That's going to be good. So they're going to ports going to pop up and then uh, they're going to pop up juice bar right there in the port. One of those pop up uh, soap and bath salts kiosks. You can get pop up essential oils. This guy's good. He's real good. He's got it. He's got he's got a little thing called it. Are Americans buying this stuff? 4.4 million Americans quit their jobs in September. That's a record. Catherine Hamilton wrote about this for us at Breitbart. A record number of Americans quit their jobs in September, according to a Bureau of Labor Statistics BLS job openings and labor turnover survey. It's called JOLTS, which is a number we track very closely at Breitbart. According to the report, 4.4 million Americans, 3%, chose to voluntarily leave their place of employment. Number rose from August and July, and uh, it is the highest record since December of 2000. That is not a great sign, and I think that's a sign that maybe the media is not portraying the full picture of what's happening in our economy. In the meantime, they're spinning why inflation is a good thing. That, that's what they want to talk about. Here is uh, Stephanie Rule on MSNBC 3A, who's actually one of the better people on MSNBC, by the way. Uh, listen to this, 3A, go. As you say, inflation's over 6%, numbers we haven't seen in more than 30 years. So how much higher can these prices go, and when do you see them coming down? 
Well, listen, Willie, nobody knows exactly when they're going down, but you have to put all this in perspective. This inflation is not in isolation, and the government predicted it was going to be a challenging recovery, recovery all tied to COVID. So it's why you see things like that expanded child tax credit. You've got the families of over 60 million kids on average getting $430 a month. For people on fixed incomes, older people on Social Security, they're getting those fixed payments adjusted next year up 5.9% for inflation. And the dirty little secret here, Willie, while nobody likes to pay more, on average, we have the money to do so. Household savings hit a record high over the pandemic. We didn't really have anywhere to go out and spend. And as we said a moment ago, we're expecting retail sales this holiday season to break records. For those who own their homes, the value of our homes are up. And while the stock market isn't the economy, you got over half of American households with some investment in the markets, and the markets have hit record highs. So we need to put uh, all of this in so perspective. This it. time last year, when you and I were talking, Willie. A dirty little secret is that inflation is pretty good, pretty good, and people can afford it. You guys can afford your inflation. You guys love it when you go to the grocery store and prices are up 10 12%. Christmas cookies prices are up. Uh, in almost every major city. Trump's America getting hit harder. Thanksgiving food prices are up. Breakfast food's up. And we'll keep bringing you the data day-to-day at Breitbart. Every single thing we try to isolate, Breitbart.com, for all the latest. But you guys can't afford it. You know you know how I know? Because Stephanie Rule said so on MSNBC. You guys get a pay cut, and Stephanie Rule says you should really enjoy it. You guys can, you, you got it. You got this. You got this. The question isn't why isn't aren't things getting more affordable. The question is whether or not it's okay that things are getting less affordable. Do you think that would be the framework of Donald Trump as president or any Republican for that matter? Or would it be everyone lighting their hair on fire? Pitchforks and torches in the streets. Um, I can't, can't resist this one. Donna Brazil, ABC this week, who's even spinning an even higher uh, RPM. 4A, go ahead. Look, you, you've got to be smart when you go out and shop today, okay? Whether you're looking for Jiffy Cornbread, <laughs> which used to be three for a dollar, and it went up to 87 cents, or if you're buying gas. And if you buy it in the inner city, it's 10 cents more than if you go out just to further out. Well, George, is, that, wait, is that the Democratic slogan? No. We're going to raise your prices, but be smart about no, it. It can be a little you, bit you, less. You mentioned Mary Run Pat. You mentioned Mary Pat. <laughs> I'm just telling you my experience of shopping. you got to be a smart shopper. My mom had nine children, and she always said you had to make groceries. Look, George, the bottom line is tomorrow Joe Biden will sign a very historic piece of legislation. I pray and hope that in addition to giving a pen to Nancy and to Chuck mansion that he gave it to Bill Cassidy and those 13 Republicans in the House who are now facing death threats because they want to fix their roads, they want to fix their bridges, and they want broadband for their kids. Okay, boss. So, so this is good. It's a you just got to be smart when you shop. You got to be smart when you shop, as you pronounce it, cornbread without the R, because that's I guess makes her more credible. Um, that's a. Uh, more relatable, not, not 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 credible. You can relate to her because she doesn't pronounce cornbread uh, the way that you know it's written out. And uh, credit to all those Republicans for getting the, the the death threats. They should not be in death threats, obviously, but it's a, everyone in public life gets death threat get, gets death threats. And just a reminder that those thirteen Republicans uh, make Democrats' life immeasurably easier. That is, I'm just wondering if it's working. Looking at the numbers, Joe Biden crashing another poll, 38% Washington Post. Uh, and he was riding pretty high, and now he's just, his approval sunk through the floor. 
Um, Republicans' midterm election vote is at the best that it's been in 40 years. So, and again, there's a lot to, there's a, there's a lot of time before we go to the polls, because remember, uh, you can only vote like six or seven months before the election these days. I'm kidding. It's three months, but it's the largest lead in the ABC Washington Post poll in 40 years. So that's, a, and it's probably going to get worse because remember they're not, they're not saying that this is going to get fixed anytime soon. They're just going to print more money. It's going to lead to more inflation. They have no real solution to any of these major problems. The only thing they've got going for them is now they have an agenda that's going through because Republicans helped them. But being a smarter shopper is the key. And remember, the, the Biden has lost all the Republicans. He's lost a good chunk of the independents, almost all of them probably at this point. And then he's even going to lose some Democrats at this point because not all these policies are working even for Democrats. We know a remarkable story from John Bender at Breitbart, and I'm very heartened to see he got 5,700 comments over the weekend. Black Americans sue U.S. farms for replacing them with foreign workers. It's like being robbed of your heritage. Uh, this is something we've tracked at Breitbart since the Andrew Breitbart days. And the black Americans who are seeing their their foreign workers being imported basically to work farms and they're getting undercut by non-Americans, some of them who are not even immigrants. They're just, you know, seasonal migrants trying to come in, make some money and get out of here. This is a an offense to a lot of black farmers. And this was there. The government used to protect the black farmers. It used to be a big theme. We, they used to try to protect black farmers, even would be black farmers who weren't quite farmers yet. And now the plan is just keep importing foreign workers to work the farms and to make it so that there are uh, there's much more competition for these group of people who are trying to get ahead in life. And we're told are supposed to be protected by the uh, Mayor Pete's the ultimate anti-racist of the world. That's why I'm wondering if any of this is going to work. The uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial will resume still going on. So we'll have the latest on that at Brightport.com as long as it goes. Um, it'll be interesting. Those of you who missed the show on Friday, which I highly recommend because we had Ann Coulter and Jocko Willink. Um, and in Coulter's segment, she's so good on the, whenever there's a big public media trial, she's so good on it. And her analysis of Rittenhouse was a, a plus, plus, plus. Um, but we'll resume that today at Breitbart. Um, and again, still no evidence he's a white supremacist. Um, that's the main thing that Joe Biden called him the white supremacist. That is why the freakout took place. He showed up at a Black Lives Matter march, was trying to help as a medic, whether or not he should have done that. I'm not saying he should have, but that was what he was trying to do. He was getting uh, chased down by some white guys and he shot a few of them, which I'm not saying he had to do it or should have done it. But it did look like that the, that from everything we're seeing in the trial as they were trying to kill him, at least some of them were. And he shot three white guys. And we were told this is the greatest act of racism of all time. And that has not stopped. That does not stop. A, a people like Karen Bass, who is a congressman from California, um, who is likely to be the next mayor of Los Angeles to go on Jake Tapper's show and say stuff like this. 6A, Mr. Paul. Kyle Rittenhouse is a white man who's accused of shooting and uh, uh, three other white men and, and killing two right. of them. Uh, explain how you think there's a racial dimension to this well, case. Well, be, be, because remember now, where were those white men that were killed? They were at a protest protesting in solidarity for black folks. So to me, it was reminiscent of the civil rights movement when you had young white people that participated in the sit-ins and the protests, and they were subject to beatings, they were subjects to shootings, many of them were killed as well. And it's as though the judge is taking that very lightly. Remember the judge in Rittenhouse case 
said you couldn't even refer to the people that were killed as victims. You could refer to them as rioters. Here you have a 17-year-old boy who was driven by his mother across state lines with an automatic weapon. Frankly, she should have been detained for child endangerment to go to a protest where he says he's going to help the police. I mean, it was ridiculous. He walks across with his automatic weapon and the police just look at him. And the majority of the people that were protesting were African-American, but the white men that were killed were protesting in solidarity with the black people. So it reminded me of the civil rights movement. Unbelievable. The Gabe Grosskreutz, who is the surviving guy who got shot, said that he pulled the gun first on Rittenhouse. Uh, one of the other guys who Rittenhouse shot was a convicted child rapist uh, who just got out of a mental institution. And these guys had Rittenhouse cornered. And she leaves out all the central context, not to mention that Rittenhouse had deep ties to Kenosha. It wasn't like he just showed up randomly. All the stuff is in the Coulter interview as well, but just a wildly irresponsible woman named Karen Bass who uh, sanitizes some truly radical ideas, and you'll be seeing a lot from her because she's got that demeanor and cadence of someone who seems like a elder statesman and a town elder, a wise person, and her ideas are uh, absolutely abhorrent, and uh, she'll probably be mayor of LA. So, uh, and I'm sure there's some tr- some terrific pushback from Jake Tapper at the end of that as well. I will. I have a big stack of media news that I'm not going to get to uh, at the moment, so I will plug this for particularly any of you podcast listeners, um, is a three-hour show live every morning in Sirius XM 125, the Patriot Channel. You get the full show live in the SXM app. And I will bring up the Washington Post now trying all of a sudden policing CNN for uh, failing to correct PP dossier false reporting from four years ago. Even Politico is admitting that the FBI rating James O'Keefe for apparently no good reason is bad news. And Twitter allowing leaks about Project Veritas, but not about, you know, Joe Biden. Pencil neck Adam Schiff still standing by the PP dossier. I'll get to all that later in the show. Take a quick break. Be right back. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed everything is getting expensive. We're in the biggest economic crisis since 2008 with a government that's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years. Inflation is certainly here to stay. And if the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. So, how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help you move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market and into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. That's incredible. $1,500 free silver, first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. 866-670-7660. 866-670-7660. Or text Alex to 65532. Again, that's 866 866- Six seven zero seven six six zero, or text Alex to six five five three two for American Hartford Gold. I will emphasize that if you go to SiriusXM.com, get the full show, then uh, you get all, all of our media guests. We have a couple other great guests today. Dan Gaynor, who joins me every Monday 
on the live show. Uh, we a lot of media topics to get to uh, and uh, all that for you if you go to SiriusXM.com and get the full broadcast. Uh, but we got one interview for you today. It's with Jack Posobiec, who is prolific. If you're on Twitter, you probably follow him. Uh, also a podcaster and a guy who's got usually a unique and thoroughly thought through take on stuff. And he also has done a lot of great reporting on the institutional left. So we'll talk to him about that and much more right now. Great to have you back on the show. We have a lot to get to today, but congrats on all the recent success. You deserve it. One of the hardest workers around. Let's start with something that you have been way ahead of that I've been catching up on and having uh, I've been having a delight doing it, uh, which is I think you've been calling it the White House shade war. Uh, it's really fun to see what's going to happen as the Brandon administration's agenda starts going even further south than it already is. Uh, the It's almost hilarious to watch if the stakes weren't so high. Um, but there does seem to be a lot of shade being thrown from one corner of the White House to the next, uh, with Pete Buttigieg and uh, Kamala Harris being the major players in this. But uh, catch us up on all this, because you've been on this for a while. Right. It really has been one of the emerging threads that we've seen from the White House, something that I've been covering for about six months. And then it would sort of poke up here and there, this, this friction between sort of the team of rivals, where you've got one team behind Kamala Harris, and another team behind Joe Biden. And we always knew that during the campaign, right, this was kind of a political shotgun marriage. Um, it made sense at the time. It made sense on the polls. It made sense for the 2020 election from the Democrat perspective. But once they got into the White House, it became very, very clear that there were two groups of people with two very distinct agendas. And by and large, Jill Biden, Ron Klain, Steve Reschetti and Jen Psaki, who essentially lead up the Biden team on this, see Kamala Harris as a threat. They have always seen her as a threat. They view her as someone who has the potential, at least politically, if not publicly, to basically outmaneuver Joe Biden. And as Biden's uh, approvals fall, as his, uh, you know, as you could say, his situation deteriorates, obviously she is the one who's kind of sitting in the wings. So I've been reporting this on a day-by-day basis. We joke about it on the podcast. We call it the White House Shade War. We even do White House Shade War updates. And I'm watching CNN because I do watch CNN on the weekends and nobody else has to. And then Jim Acosta comes on and does a 10-minute block, an entire segment, uh, like half of his show (laughs) in terms of the broadcast, all about the White House Shade War and the fact that you've got people now, former Kamala staffers, as well as people that are on the current Biden team, just completely throwing Kamala Harris under the bus. So they're trying to scapegoat her a little bit, though, and she's incompetent and she's incredibly unlikable and unqualified. But that said, so is just about everyone else there. It is very cartoonish. The characters in this administration and their public salespeople are even more so. Where do you think this goes? And are there really, does anyone really have a strong hand to play? Because it just seems like, um, you know, the, the, everyone's at a poker game and everyone's a really terrible player with terrible cards. Well, here's the basic thing, right? And they've gone from rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic to having open fights break out as to who gets in the lifeboats on the Titanic. That's what you're seeing right now in yeah, the White House. Yeah, because yeah. early on, it was, hey, let's give Kamala all of these, you know, must-fail situations. Let's give her the border crisis. Let's give her inflation. Let's give her uh, climate change. All of these different things that were always destined to fail. They said, let's give those to Kamala Harris, and then whenever blame comes out, we can stick on her. 
Now, she obviously realizes what's going on. She's the freight drain bearing down on Biden and his team. But at the end of the day, all they can really do is throw sand on the tracks. You know, um, this is I, I think this is really this is something that has been that has come up uh, a number of times in the show. But one thing that I mentioned at the very start that I thought assigning Kamala Harris the border crisis was designed to um, diminish her chances in 2024. I thought that was a part of the plan because it was always going to be unwinnable um, for her because the left does not want her to enforce the border and not enforcing the border means you're going to have more illegal aliens, it's going to undercut wages, it's going to create more crime. And so it is the proverbial lose-lose and giving her that task, it was an impossible task. Uh, Are you with me on that one? That's exactly what I'm saying, that the idea is if there's something where they know they're going to get bad headlines, where they know they're going to run into failure, um, they were trying to give her some of this. And you, if you actually go through the CNN article, it's actually a very lengthy read. That doesn't, it's very light on facts. It's just big on blame for Kamala Harris. But one thing they talk about is trying to even blame the Build Back Better bill on Kamala Harris, which is just laughable to me because obviously this has become the signature legislation, the signature bill of the fledgling Biden administration. So again, they're trying to pin all their failures on her when they can't point to any successes even for themselves. Yeah, again, I think this is so fun uh, as a spectator. Um, but oh, do you see any? Yeah, yeah. It, it, do you see anyone who's got an upper hand here? Because you know, Buttigieg is trying to make some moves, obviously. But it's funny because some of it is so laughable that he's a guy who uh, pulls. It's basically if there's a way to get less than zero percent support for the black from the black community, P. Buttigieg has pulled that off. It's a he's less than a rounding error because again, Jack, you know, there's three percent a margin of error in a lot of these polls, and he's under three percent approval of the black community in. In terms of, or he got he got under three percent of the vote, and now he's Mister Racial Spokesperson, and he's going up against Kamala Harris, and he's the one who is going to quell us of all our racist past. It, it is hilariously ironic, right? So here's the inside track on that. What Buttigieg is doing is he knows very clearly that he, if things go the way people think they're going to go, Joe Biden will be eighty two years old um in 2024 if biden doesn't run i think you're going to see the two and what you're seeing now is the two leading contenders for the 2024 nomination are duking it out in the press that's kamala harris and pete Buttigieg. why does this matter you're right because he does not poll well with african-americans a lot of groups he doesn't poll well with but at the end of the day what was his biggest leverage in Uh, the early days of that race and then coming on board, it was always his connections to Silicon Valley money. It was his connections to the tech billionaires. He was going through New York City. He was going through other places, picking up millions and millions of dollars from the tech industry. But, of course, Kamala Harris, her entire background is not just California, but San Francisco. So she's also deeply, deeply connected in that Silicon Valley donor community. So I think what you're really seeing a lot of is them battling this out, not necessarily for who's the more popular one, but who's seen as more viable to be able to get that uh, essentially donor cash from Silicon Valley. So are you handicapping it right now? I mean, who do you think has got uh, who's got the inside track to kind of distinguish themselves among the would be successors? Well, I don't think any of them quite really do quite now, because you know, say what you want about Kamala's sort of cringy, ridiculous videos that she's been putting out lately. 
at the end of the day, I think a lot of people put the supply chain crisis and put this massive uh, port buildup, mm-hmm. the shipping crisis on the back of Pete Buttigieg. They put that on the shoulders of Pete Buttigieg. Sure. This is the guy who was a secretary of transportation. And like it or not, right, circumstances or not, he was away. He was on leave the entire time this crisis unfolded. One other thing that is interesting that we've been tracking a lot on the show today is how the Biden administration is trying to explain some of the inflation numbers, supply chain issues, and trying to blame it on the unvaccinated, trying to blame uh, the inflation, saying the inflation is actually a pretty good thing and we should just keep printing more money. Uh, How do you think this is going for them messaging wise? I think it's been horrible. I think and I think you're starting to see things like the huge uh, jump and boost in the price, the rocketing high price of Bitcoin as a check on this because people are checking out of the system. You're also seeing gold rising. You're seeing, and of course, the real estate market around the country is going crazy. There's a reason that Bill Gates and Bezos and all these guys are putting their money not necessarily in the stock market. They're now turning more and more to real estate because people want those hard assets. They know there's huge inflationary risk. There's massive risk of correction in the market. Every single signal on this is screaming correction. And so if you look where the smart money and the big money is going, it's not into the stock market right now. It's not into these uh, to any of these things that are necessarily tied to any of Biden's spending. No, they're trying to get out and they're trying to get themselves ready for what's going to happen in the next two to five years. Jack Posobiec, again, is my guest, senior editor of Human Events. He's at Jack Posobiec on Twitter, but the podcast is Human Events Daily, which you can get wherever you get your podcasts, and it is streamed on the Turning Point USA channels. Uh, I want to ask you again about um, uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and perhaps what could happen if we get a verdict, which might be as soon as today. Uh, you wrote a book on Antifa last year, so you know the sort of institutional violent left uh, pretty well. Tell me any highlights or lowlights you think from the trial that you think are important, things that the media is finally catching up on. Uh, but I'm most interested in your prediction for what happens if he is acquitted, which, again, is probably the most likely scenario, some sort of a hung jury. Um, but it does look like a sane jury would would acquit him. And then what happens then? Uh, wh- what do you think in all and all this. Right. Now you're exactly right because there there are a lot of ways where this thing can go. Like if you're if you're just judging this based on the evidence, if you've watched every minute of the trial as I have, you've weighed every piece of evidence, a piece of testimony, it's very clear that this was a self defense situation. He was asked to be there by these owners of the uh, car dealership. And remember, this is the same car dealership that just one night before had one of its main lots completely torched in flames, videos going viral across the Internet. Those are the same guys that said, hey, we'd like a little bit of support from the community because, as you can imagine, their inventory is all sitting on the lot. You know, we're just talking about uh, economics, right? Well, these guys don't have the opportunity to, to move their inventory around as these mobs come through. So they become prime targets, and that's exactly what happened that night. So there's a lot of complicated um, ways this thing could go. So you could see full acquittal, you could see hung jury, or you could see on this last Thursday and then Friday, the prosecutors were trying everything they could do to add on all sorts of lesser charges, included charges, to make sure the jury had every possible option to say, okay, we don't think that homicide maybe is going to happen, but what about you know excessive force or what about um, reckless endangerment or these various other issues that could be uh, you know a lesser charge but under the you know way below the, the you know first degree homicide which is what he's, he's charged with uh, twice double homicide but at the end of the day you are going to see an uprising 
in Kenosha, and that's why finally, finally, Governor Evers has brought in the National Guard. He said 500 troops are going to be on standby. And it blows my mind because if he had just put those 500 troops in Kenosha, remember, the night of the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting, that was night Mm. three of the riots. And a lot of these rioters, Kenosha is only about 45 minutes from Chicago. So they were coming up from Chicago. They were coming down from Milwaukee into, into Kenosha. It's not their town. They're tearing it up. If Evers had just put National or National Guard there in the first place, this never would have happened. Do you see an explanation for that other than incompetence? Because maybe there's something else there. Because, it, again, the Kenosha riots were taking place when riots were kind of trendy. It was a, the, the left was really into them. This was a, There were huge defenses of them that were being waged on CNN. Uh, it's a, maybe there's more to it than just simple law and order. We've got to go back to the context of the summer of 2020, right? Remember, this was the mostly peaceful riots. And then the few instances where Trump, uh, for example, in Portland, would send in federal troops, you would have Democrats screaming. And they're going after Chad Wolf saying there's unmarked cars and unlabeled federal troops uh, patrolling through American streets. And they're trying to end these protests. You had a massive media psychological operation designed to tell people that there were no violent pro- or violent riots whatsoever. They were all peaceful protests. They said this day after day, and Ch- remember, Chaz was about a month before Kenosha. So Chaz, where I was at uh, night and day, we knew the guns were going coming out in Chaz. We saw the shootings that happened in Chaz. We saw everything that happened, and finally they were able to shut it down, but only after bodies hit the floor in Chaz. But again, they still wouldn't talk about this on the national media stage, and they wouldn't talk about this even from a Democrat perspective, because it became completely verboten to even discuss the fact that there could be violence going on. And it's so bad, Alex, it's so bad that there are people today who think that the only violence that happened in Kenosha all summer was from Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, Do you think that things are going to be better or worse than typical uh, 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 riots that we've seen over the last couple of years because uh, it seems like some of the riots, I think, get amped up when you get a guy like Donald Trump in the White House relative to the uh, relative to Joe Biden, because, again, it's going to make Biden look bad if there is a big riot. So and again, the institutional left is part of the apparatus that makes the riots happen. Can you explore that with me a little bit in terms of the actual mechanics of how these big riots break out? It's not just people, you know, just showing up and just decide I'm going to start throwing rocks through windows. It's more complicated than that. You've studied it and written about it. Um, And so do you think it changes given that Biden's in there and doing badly? Well, it seems to me, and I think it seems to a lot of people that that these massive programs like the huge ubiquitous Black Lives Matter protests, as well as the Antifa and even the more violent elements of BLM were activated in a way in 2020 that we just haven't seen after, you know, after November 3rd of 2020. It seems to have completely vanished, or if it's around, it's only sort of those hardened cadres of maybe two or three or a dozen here or there, depending on the city. They're just not getting the numbers. And if you look at that Time Magazine article that came out after the election, that you had people in there admitting that they were in communication with the people who led some of the more violent riots that took place. Yeah. And they were calling them and saying, stand down. We don't want you to come out. We don't want the kind of scenes that we saw throughout 2020. And it puts people in almost a Stockholm syndrome. It's like a Mexican standoff for our own country where we're having a situation of 
you know, you're going to vote the way we want or you're going to get the stick. Um, again, Jack Posobiec is with me, senior editor of Human Events at Jack Posobiec on Twitter. Human Events Daily podcast is doing great and for good reason. Uh, Jack, I think one thing that's really interesting here about is uh, when it comes to whether or not we are going to um, uh, see the media learn any lessons here, we know the answer is no. But there are still so many lies that are getting pushed by the establishment Democrats and their cohort in the media. Uh, I played a clip earlier in the show that I won't play for you again, but you probably saw it. Uh, Karen Bass, who's a congresswoman from California, who's probably going to be the next mayor of L.A., uh, who is suggesting that these people who Kyle Rittenhouse shot are actually like civil rights leaders, including the one who's a convicted child rapist. Uh, Gabe Grosskreutz Gage Grosskreutz uh, seemed to suggest that he actually pursued Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, which actually helped Rittenhouse's case. Uh, they ignore. Uh, she ignores that Kyle Rittenhouse's family is in Kenosha. Uh, it is one of these things where the left so effortlessly ignores key details, and I do think this leads to rioting. That this could potentially lead to rioting because if you were to watch CNN's coverage of this, uh, you would think that this was again a, some white supremacist trying to hunt down blacks, uh, even though it was actually a white guy defending himself who shot only whites. Yeah, uh, even Joe Scarborough just yesterday on MSNBC, and we've got the clip, we're going to play it today. He claims that Kyle Rittenhouse, first of all, across state lines, right, doesn't mention that Kyle's dad, his grandmom, and all of his cousins live in Kenosha, that Kyle works in Kenosha. Um, they also, and he says that Kyle Rittenhouse fired 60 rounds. So their entire narrative is like some kid shows up and just starts indiscriminately firing into a crowd, right, which would obviously be horrific. But again, that's not the situation that we've seen. And yes. you could see this in the very night. I was watching the live streams of it that night. But as we've gone through the testimony and we've brought more and more people onto the stand, even the prosecution's own witnesses in many cases, like you just said, this Gage Grosskreutz, who was, by the way, a member of one of these sort of local Antifa chapters, or they call it the People's Revolution Movement. Um, he gets up there and says, well, I may have pointed my gun at Kyle, but I didn't intend to kill him. I just, you know, I just maybe pointed my gun at him a little bit. Great. Well, and then he gets the benefit of the doubt because he is, I guess, on the good guy side. And, and this is the thing that I, can this go on forever as a society? Like, can we keep doing you know, this? We can. And I think, I think it's, it's something that they used to call in the Soviet Union, accelerate the contradictions. So you can't have a guy like this D.A. Binger, who, if you remember, um, you know, the crooked EPA guy from Ghostbusters, he's kind of the one who, you know, reminds yeah. me of, you know, this guy who's just screaming about the rules and not paying attention to what's going on. I said, you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to bring a gun to a protest. But he's not pointing out that your own witness also brought a gun to this thing, right? So maybe it wasn't a protest, and maybe you're completely mischaracterizing things, and maybe the evidence isn't quite in your favor. This guy, by the way, he's been, uh, not only does he have his little faux hawk, He's been marching up and down the aisles of the courtroom wearing a, a, a uh, circulating uh, collection of Star Wars lapel pins. It's disgusting. Jack, I really appreciate the time, and thanks for uh, the great reporting. Appreciate it, Alex. We'll have to come on in, uh, in the aftermath and see how our predictions went. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, by can't wait, meaning I'm dreading it completely. But uh, it's, a, it's, good. it's good to have some sober-minded people keeping an eye on it for us, what you're doing, and we appreciate that. Absolutely. Talk to you. God bless, Alex. Same to you. Be right back. 
As you know, on the SiriusXM show, three-hour show, we take a lot of calls and I get a ton of information from speaking to the audience, the people, every day. And we try to highlight one every show. And today it will be Bob in Virginia. He's our caller of the day. And Bob came off a little sleepy early on Monday, but he had such important points. I wanted to highlight this call as did the producers, because he is a trucker who has been hit hard by high gas prices and other interruptions into the workflow that have been caused essentially by Biden and the Brandon administration policies. Uh, But he breaks it down straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And it is a meaningful, meaningful perspective. And this is why we lean so much on our citizen journalists, those in the Breitbart audience. Uh, Let's take a listen. I just wanted to say thanks to our government right now with the inflation, one of the top reasons why I do not believe that we have a shortage of truck drivers. We have a shortage of people wanting to move the loads at a very low price that we can't afford the fuel in our trucks to move them that far across. They're trying for cheap freight. My fuel prices have more than doubled in the last year. Uh, I've gone from probably 800 to $1,000 a week in fuel costs to 2000 to 2500 a week, thanks to this new Biden-Harris government. You know, it's, I've heard them talk about, you know, blame the truck drivers. No, let's not blame the truck drivers. We're just trying to do our job, and we're trying to live in the process yeah. of trying to make America keep running. But if they keep raising the prices... Sure, and it's going to keep happening because they keep bog- they keep blocking pipelines, and they don't want want us drilling. And if we're not drilling, then the prices yeah, keep going. And it's going stupid. Up. Well, it's not stupid because they because because they want the prices high. They don't care about you guys, Bob. They they don't even care about um, the blue collar people who have to have long commutes in with the expensive gas prices. Uh, even the blue collar people who have long yeah. commutes from the suburban and rural areas into their cities that they love so much. They don't care about those people. They, they care about fossil right. fuel emissions. That's what they care about. That's their priority right now. But that's the reason why a lot of things aren't getting delivered right now is because, you know, we can't afford the fuel prices to get it there. You know, we've got fuel prices. We've got if the tax. We've got insurance, which they raised on us as well, just to carry the loads. And it all boils down to the uh, current administration. I got American parts. That'll do it for today. Thanks to Paul D'Amelio and Greg Eben, the producers who make me look so good, and uh, Robert Marlowe, our night editor of Breitbart News, who helps me with topic selection. Uh, thanks to all of you, and thanks to, most importantly, those of you who have told 10,000 friends and family members about the show, hit the subscribe button, left a nice review, or a nice comment, or both. All of that is very helpful, and it means a lot to me personally and the whole staff that makes the show possible. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.